Oh, what up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And Sean. Coming at you for another week's episode of the Chronos Cast, although it is a week plus one day, so not quite a week episode, but close yeah, enough. Yeah, but not, not quite a we're back. We are present. We are here. So we really didn't miss anything. Yeah, we're still here. I haven't left. Still here. Not back. Still here. Still here, not back. Uh, Bobby, it is the season of the Cronus Scholar. Are you excited? I am excited. Uh, this, uh, thanks to you guys, uh, this season, uh, this last year has been a very good year for us, both in terms of uh, stuff like apparel and generating some revenue. So we actually have a nice bit of income that we have banked away uh, in our proud and very pumped to offer an increase in our scholarship offerings. We're now going to do a $2,500 scholarship. So that's $2,500 for those um, you know that need to work on the math a little bit. Math challenged. But so for all the infantry types out there, that's a 2, a 5, a 0, 0, and then a decimal in the period. Times. That's where the period goes, and then some more zeros. So, uh, you know, thanks to you guys and kind of the support that we've gotten those last year, especially, you know, buying the, you know, new apparel, buying the programs, helping out donations, um, like, like we've, you know, kind of started in the past. Um, our mission is all about giving back to the community, and this is our way of giving back to the community by helping those who have, you know, put the time in, in while they're in the military and now to get something coming out of the military, just to make that transition a little bit smoother, a little bit easier, and help out with any way that we can. Yeah, and last year we had a bit of a corporate sponsorship with one of our scholarships from Paragon Recovery. This year it's $10,000, um, two companies that you know, really pushed uh, giving back to, to veterans and creating a promo code for our listeners and our Cronus fam. Um, so every single year, we've been really grateful to have that kind of support from a larger company to help. Uh, but again, $2,500, the window is from now until August 20th. You can go to the website to check it out. It's going to be in a bright yellow tab on the top right of the screen. Essentially, just write two short essays, copy of your DD-214, where you're getting into school, a letter of recommendation, and then just a pic of you in uniform while you were serving. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything sexy. And this is also not limited to individuals um, that strictly serve in, in soft capacities. I think half of our Cronus scholars in the last uh, two years have been from the conventional side of the house, and then we've had our, our, our soft uh, Cronus scholars. So do not think because you weren't a Green Beret, you weren't a Range Regiment, or you're not a PJ. Um, we don't consider that, you know, the the threshold for our Cronus scholarship. If you serve and you are going on to do an educational program, it's fair game, competition open, apply away. Yeah, and then uh, it's been a, kind of an awesome experience being able to, you know, give out and reward award these scholarships to the well-serving guys and girls getting out of the military you know both sean and i have gone through that process and it you know as pretty much as what is it the a cap right is a cap or is something different now is it a capped for getting out yeah the sfl tap oh yeah sfl tap as much as they like you know kind of say and as good as good or bad as that program may be I think it's you know, post-dependent. Yeah, it's really d dependent on where you are. So, um, you know, giving you guys a little bit of more freedom while you know the GI Bill kicks in, waiting for that actual, for the military to actually pay you after you get out. You know, those are all things that I experienced and that Sean's experienced getting the military and going to school. Um, and hopefully we can help uh, blunt that effect and allow you to really focus on getting out and being successful. Yeah, Bobby was touching on it. The, the $2,500, that's going directly to you. That's not going to go to your school. Uh, you can certainly use it for tuition. If you need to supplement uh, GI Bill or the Yellow Room program at wherever you are going to get uh, this, this degree from, uh, it can be used for books. It can be used for getting dress clothes if you're going to a business school or you just need to prepare for on-campus interviews for your first summer job after the military. It can go to rent. It can go to help packing up your family and moving. Uh, the point that we're trying to make is this can go to literally anything to help you transition to that next career 
after the military to become the best professional that you can be in that field. We want you to start off with as little stress as possible because you've done so much already through your service. Um, you're you're going to be a great mentor to individuals once you get to your school. We just don't want you to have any fear or trepidation uh, getting there. Great words. Great words. Trepidation. Trepid, uh, SAT word. Yeah. But seriously, guys, really um, want to emphasize how this is free money, free cash money that will be sent to you. So, uh, you know, if you are interested or anybody that you know, any of your guys are getting out, you know, feel free to send them towards us. Send them to our way in the drop an application. It is not really that much effort if you think about it. It's maybe like an hour amount of work for potentially $2,500. And I don't know about you, Sean, but $2,500 for an hour of work seems like a uh, pretty solid deal. Yeah, I don't bill anywhere near that amount of time. So I would find uh, that quite lucrative for, for that, especially too if you have a, a great story and you have a, a good motivation going back to school. Um, but so that's the Cronus Scholarship uh, that's available again through August 20th. But now that we're getting into the summer months, Bobby and I were just talking before we started recording about some of the pitfalls of training in the summer. You're going to see increases in heat waves across the land. You're going to have instances where you're debating whether or not to do two-a-days, how far should you run, should you listen to your body, what's overtraining, what's heat catting, how can you maintain your fluid levels, your salt levels, all these kind of questions. Thankfully, you don't have to rely on me because I am not a doctor, but we do have a doctor on the podcast. So, Bobby, without much further ado, intro, please. So, I will caveat and say this right off the bat. This is not constitute medical advice. Also, I'm a medical doctor, not quite, you know, an exercise physiologist or, you know, someone of that regard that probably might be a little bit better uh, capable, like better equipped to handle some of the more intricacies of electrolyte balances, fluid balances and things like that. Legal disclaimer. But I can speak, you know, a little bit about kind of the general physiology and stuff like that. Um, so I think I actually wrote an article about this a couple of years ago and I put it. I did. A, I think I did a podcast on this a couple hours, a couple of years ago, like about back when I did the brain body Bobby segment back in the day. Oh yeah, I think I was it. Who who is it? Megan Stallion that does the body body yada 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 yada. I feel like yeah, that Megan could have Stallion, been a perfect yeah. intro song to you uh, for Bobby body Bobby body. What was the other word in that one? Brain body brain. Bobby brain body bobby brain body yeah someone's going to be more artistic out there send us a loop of that uh but yeah pretty much you know it, it like the, i think like half the country especially the west coast is like engulfed in this huge heat wave right now i think i saw on the news like it's like 120 degrees in like texas like 100 and something in, in like vegas it's, it's like 95 degrees right now in washington thankfully uh, we actually just paid and got central air installed in our house today. So thankfully, I'm not dying. Uh, oh, hell last, yeah. Last summer, it was pretty brutal in the summertime in Washington because nobody in Washington has central air. So that's been nice. But I digress. Um, the big thing with the heat is that, um, you know, with the increased ambient temperature, your body really loses the ability to kind of cool off. Um, when you when you sweat, the idea of sweating is that you, you know, increase the f- uh, moisture on your skin and through the process of sublimation, of evaporation, the conversion of liquid to gas is what actually cools your body down. So when it's hotter outside, you kind of lose that ability to really, well, it depends also with like the humidity levels as well. So, you know, like in the desert, if it's like hot, if it's hot, but it's dry, you can evaporate quicker. So it actually, actually cools you down better. But then you get in the humidity and like the partial pressure of, of water and the air is increased because you know the temperature goes up, then you're gonna have less of pressure differential to really evaporate that. So honestly, when it comes to the heat, the biggest thing is humidity rather than temperature, um, which is why you know hydration and electrolytes become very key. Um, as your body for sweat, it's primarily sodium chloride is ex- uh, is excreted. Um, so you want to make sure that you get a lot of sodium and chloride, also known as table salt, um, to keep up your electrolyte. <coughs> NACL. NACL, so keep up your electrolytes. Back when I was, like, super into, like, really training hard, like, in, like, ranger school and, like, at, you know, RASP2 even, and Fort Benning in the summertime, 
I would add like an extra scoop of salt in all my food. And in the summertime in Jersey, when I was training really hard, I would actually take like in the morning when I would wake up in the morning, I'd take a, you know, my cup of water and put like a tablespoon of like pink Himalayan sea salt into it and just chug that. Tasted terrible, but like, um, you know, helps replenish some of those electrolytes that you lost when you sleep and actually helps rehydrate you because just drinking pure water isn't really at best, isn't really good at hydrating you because um, in order to create urine uh, in your kidneys, you actually lose electrolytes. So you lose some sodium, some potassium, um, and other electrolytes to create urine. So the more water you drink, the more water you drink actually dehydrates you if you don't replenish your electrolytes, which is a... So a teaspoon is smaller than a tablespoon. Correct. Tablespoon is what you need, and most people probably have that in your baking drawer. So if you're all fans of the Great British Baking Show, I'm sure you know exactly what measurement we're talking about. But, you know, just like a spoonful of of salt salt and a cup of water in the morning um, really goes a long way as far as replacing electrolytes. And actually, um, you know, a lot of people and a lot of, um, you know, medicine goes like salt is bad for your blood pressure and bad for your diet because um, basically putting too much salt in kind of increases your, um, your blood volume by increasing the sodium in your blood. But, um, you know, for the healthy individual, for anyone listening to this podcast, generally speaking, if you do a little bit of extra salt, it won't matter for you because you're able to pee it out. Um, you know, unless you have like pre-existing like kidney issues or high blood pressure, avoiding the, the extra bit of salt uh, in the summertime with the increase of work is probably not going to hurt you. So how far ahead of a typical PT scheduled 630 run should individuals be consuming more electrolyte-based uh, drinks, uh, or at what point do individuals need to have this kind of sustenance uh, in order to properly fuel? Well, you think about you know hydration being you hydrate two or three days before start hydrating two or three days before you know your event, whether that's like a you know planned event. But generally speaking, per day you should be drinking about a um, half an ounce per pound of body weight. So, you know, for me, I'm like 200 pounds, so I need to drink about 100 ounces of water, which is about, you know, 12 cups of water or um, three liters of water. So almost a gallon of water, three, quart, three quarts of water, essentially. And that's a good, generally that was, that good. was hard to keep up uh, yeah. with me. So I'm going to, I'm just going to say I need to drink a decent amount of yeah. water. And, uh, it's not, and it's not like chugging a, a, like, you know, a half a gallon of water at once is not really going to do much for you because you literally just pee it all out. But it's like the, you know, progressively keeping up the hydration throughout the day, you know, sipping on water or just getting in little things here and there, especially with food, because uh, food typically, typically has your electrolytes with it. So the more electrolytes you take in with your fluid, the more the fluid actually stays in you rather than you peeing it out. I remember back at Hood and. 13 or 14 division put out that everyone had to walk around with a camelback uh, full of water and it got a lot of pushback because people didn't think it looked cool in uniform it doesn't uh, there's no debate there but i didn't have a problem with it to maintain health you don't want people heat catting then you can't take them out to the field you're gonna have to train in the heat i think that's one of those things that i've never understood like the black flag conditions i i get they're bad especially when you consider airborne school and just standing out there for hours on end. But the same point, combat doesn't stop when it's hot. So that's why I I think if if you're taking in proper electrolytes, if you're eating properly, especially at these schools again, where you're going to be eating a decent amount of food in order to maintain that level of exertion, you know, I think we got to stop making excuses to some degree. You just got to get after it. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, especially, like, at the schools, like, you know, salt is definitely something that is readily available regardless of what school you're at. You know, ranger school will be at ranger school when you're getting two MREs a day. But even when you're getting the two MREs a day, you're still getting, like, the serosport supplementation and things like that to help you with the hydration. Um, but, yeah, it's just a constant effort of, you know, drinking throughout the day with food, with electrolytes, um, to generally, you know, keep your hydration level up to up to up to par. What kind of brands? And we're not recommending any brands in particular here uh, for 
my Ironman stuff, I use Gatorade, their endurance supplement. You mentioned Sierra Sport. I think like Cliff Bar does an energy uh, electrolyte based supplement. Do you have a favorite? What were you using when you were when you were training up for marathon and ultra? I was a big fan of the the noon tabs. Um, yeah, yeah, the like the salt like hot carbonated tabs um, that you can drop into your in your bottles. I always like those, I like a little bit of extra carbonation, and then um, it gives you a pretty good, you know, electrolyte blend. But generally speaking, all the products are plus or minus essentially the same thing. You're getting electrolytes mixed in with some kind of fluid, um, whether it's a concentrated um, solution like a goo, uh, where you have to dilute it with water. Essentially, like when you drink, when you take a goo and you're supposed to drink like what six or eight ounces of water with it um, to help that to help dilute it, or you you know take your salt tab and drop it in with your water and drink that it's all like you know it all adds up to the same thing true i think there are definitely places in the country that are going to create a higher risk for heat cat uh, and or heat related injuries what posts would you say were the hottest places that you've ever had to do fitness uh definitely fort benning in the summertime fort benning's one uh Bragg also gets pretty hot too, especially in North Carolina mugginess. Um, never, I never did. I did PT at like in at Sam Houston and San Antonio before, but the hot it was like hot, but it was like dry heat, so it didn't. I think it was nearly as bad as like you know Fort Benning, uh, like 110 degrees and you know in Texas in dry heat, I think is more bearable than 90 degrees at Fort Benning and like 100% humidity like there's no comparison to the humidity uh, ironically enough West Point in summertime is also terrible uh, West Point oh really humid up there yeah it's super humid up there uh, but general, general theme is like you know humidity is what makes a big difference rather than temperature yeah I think being out in Colorado was awesome because it would just be hot but it was just hot mm-hmm. JRTC down at Polk really humid but even I don't remember that being too, too bad. And I was there in the summer a couple of times. Benning was by far the worst. And even living in Savannah, it would be hot. But I don't know, you were relatively close to the ocean. So I feel like that dissipated either the humidity. Again, I'm not a meteorologist or anything. But from a personal, my personal feeling was that Benning was the worst place to fitness in the summer, bar none. And... Actually, no. That's a, that's a that's going to be our our take. The podcast says Benning is the worst place to fitness. There we go. Put that out on bumper sticker. Yeah, I'd say even Afghanistan in summertime. You know, it was like 130 degrees in summertime, and you're wearing kit, but you kind of get used to it, and you know, you stay pretty hydrated anyway. So it wasn't like, and it was just you know, you just it was just dry heat, so it wasn't as bad. Yeah, you just felt like you were getting baked. I never went to Iraq, but people said the comparison was like opening up your oven and just standing in front of it uh afghanistan a couple times like that too where i just felt like my shoulders were burning through the uniform that i had on and it was just ungodly hot and you just had to walk around and hope that you had some water drop somewhere yeah and that you'd you know drink a lot of water and gatorade and stuff like that and MedRx, because you had to get jacked. You had to take your pre-workout with you on mission so that you could time when you were getting back to take the pre to do your post-analysis, then to hit the gym at the right sweet spot. And you just hoped that the bus was picking you up at the right time and was there for you at the ramp when you got back. That is like the pro move to do. Um, I was thinking, yeah. What was I thinking about? Damn be the mission. I, I'm just working you know, there for the gains. Um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, we're talking about like training and kind of the training status, right? And like overtraining, mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking in the classic sense of overtraining, it's kind of difficult to overtrain, um, you know, overtraining defined as, the, although there is, it's quite a nebulous definition of overtraining, you know, it's essentially, you know, you can broadly define it as, you know, training greater than your body can recover from as overtraining, uh, which generally speaking is pretty difficult to do, um, unless you are, you know, more at the apex of an athlete. Um, so more, all of our listeners. Yeah. If you're, when you're more trained, it is easier to overtrain 
Whereas when you're a novice, it's relatively hard to overtrain because um, counterintuitively, um, just because you're not able to endure as much training when you're a novice, if that makes sense. That makes sense. And so for people that are just starting out this programming, then whether it's the military prep or the functional fitness side where they break up their workouts, I've always advocated doing your cardio in the morning when it's cooler out than go hit the gym maybe for the Metcon or the strength if you don't have time to do those three uh, blocks um, in succession at one point. Uh, for someone that is, again, new to this kind of workout mentality, how do you then tell them what they're feeling is maybe not heat-related or maybe it's just a tiredness? What, what are the signs and symptoms that maybe they should look for uh, when they're new? As far as overtraining or just in training in general? Yeah, over, overtraining and then maybe, you know, throw the heat. So typically, like, I think everybody um, has, like, their own kind of signs and symptoms of overtraining. Personally, when I'm overtraining and getting to that point, it's like uh, within the workout itself when I know I'm, like, getting too tired is when I start making, like, stupid mistakes where, like, I drop a plate on my foot. That's, like, it happens to me super commonly when I'm, like, really tired at the end of the workout because I am, one, not paying attention very much, and, two, just kind of tired and not really, um, you know, like, physically with it very much. So for me, if I make a mistake and, like, drop a plate or, like, hit myself on like a trip on something those are usually signs that your body you know your fine motor control is suffering a little bit um which technically speaking like your fine motor control will suffer as before your your gross motor control so you know towards the end of a workout if you're start you know being losing some coordination those are good those are like pretty solid signs just generally speaking not being as like mentally sharp or is like a sign of of getting there to that point um um, but those are like kind of my like min, like my cues that tell me that I'm getting to that point. Uh, but I think everybody has like a little bit of different of how their body gets tired, and then over time you kind of develop your own uh, metric for determining when you're tired. I have like a pigeon step that I I'll look down and I won't lose my balance, but I'll do a a shuffle step, and if it's usually I like lean to the right. If my left foot kind of goes over my right in a weird again. It, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I just like get pigeon toed and kind of just list to the right. Then I know that I'm really, really tired. And usually within like 30 minutes to 50 minutes after a workout, which is a really precise number, 50 minutes, you might ask, I'll usually sit on the couch and I will feel it and I will be exhausted and want to sleep and it'll just wreck the rest of the day. Yeah. But like everyone has like their own, you know, cue or tell that they're tired. And for me, it's like Sean is a pigeon toed for me is if I like drop a plate on my foot, which is both painful and also a sign that I should probably, you know, start wrapping these work up. on your forearm grip. Yeah. Um, but you know, everyone has a little different, um, cues that they should be able to kind of figure out on their own as, as they get more into it. Um, and then just general, you know, general, you know, you're going to feel tired. You're going to feel sore after working out. That's kind of to be expected. But then with overtraining, that's when you start running into the realm of like overuse injuries or stress related injuries. Um, things like your, you know, your shin splints, your tendonitis, your, you know, um, you know, muscle sprains or strains, um, those kind of like soft tissue issues. Um, typically for me, um, you know, over the years, I've noticed that when I, when I start overtraining or if I'm getting too, too stressed out, I start developing like a, I pull like muscles in my neck uh, because I, you know, typically hold a lot of tension in my traps. So if I find myself uh, waking up, my neck feels weird or if my head feels really stiff or if I'm working out even and doing like some overhead movements and my, like I feel like I strain my neck, it's probably because I'm either overtraining, overreaching, or I'm too stressed out to be able to recover properly. And that's what leads to kind of my overuse injuries. And that's usually a pattern that usually tells me that, you know, it's time to take a little break and not to push as hard. In the summer, too, people will sweat more. That's really scientific of me. So, again, I'm bringing something to the table here. Should people anticipate seeing bigger weight losses then in the summer if they are building that sweat equity, as I think some one of those like faddish bike companies likes to say to their morning riders, um, if you're building that sweat equity, 
Should you anticipate you're going to weigh significantly less and should you be worried? When should you know that it's a bad sign? How should you counteract losing more weight than you are anticipating? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, sweat is water and then even just like standing there throughout the day by breathing, you're losing water mass. So, you know, a you think about it this way, a liter of water is five pounds. So, you know, a quart of water is essentially five pounds. Um, so is that math right? Yeah, a liter is a liter is a kilo, so that's two pounds, excuse me. So a quart of water is about two, two pounds. Two point two. So if you lose five pounds in a workout, you're essentially losing a half a gallon of water fluid in your body. You know, wow. your body you are like two thirds water, so if you do the math, like a liter of water isn't like, you know, that much total volume. But at that vo- at that ish- at that point, that's when you start getting to the dehydration and the um, the electrolyte disturbances. So anytime you know a good rule of thumb in the summertime is to like get a weight pre and post workout, just so you have an idea of how much water you're down and how much volume you need to get back into your body. And you, that's a good practice that um, you know I would I did back in the day um, at the height of my you know training was. You know, get a, have a good baseline weight and then weigh yourself before and after your workouts or have an idea of how much you sweat. And then at that point, that gives you an idea of how much water you need to get back in your body um, pretty much in the next like 12 hours after working out. For instance, I weigh 215. I've done runs even last summer where I was coming off 215 and I was finishing my runs at 206, 207. And I would know sometimes that I had an awful run by how little I weighed when I got back because I felt horrible. And then that was a sign that I did not hydrate effectively the day prior. I probably didn't eat well or time it. I wasn't hydrating during my run. I have, a, I think it's an Osprey little one liter, two liter backpack type thing that I run with. I think you had one too. Um, I can keep goose in there, bars. I've got a handheld water bottle that has maybe half a liter in it that I'll put Gatorade in. So anything longer than an hour, I'm going to consume that. Anything longer than about two hours, I'm taking the kit out. And then I'm also planning a recovery stop somewhere to fill back up on water. Because while I'd like to just continue running, taking one minute to stop and get more water so that I'm not finishing just completely emaciated is I think worth it for me. And I, I hope it's worth it for individuals out there to at least train safely. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, like if you think about it, if you're not taking the time to stay hydrated and fueled, you're really, you know, experiencing suboptimal training. And then why would you give yourself less, you know, ideal conditions intentionally, unless you, you know, you are intentionally dehydrating yourself, then, you know, you argue something like something like that. But you know, you really shouldn't intentionally give yourself less than ideal training conditions that you, you know, are, it's more tougher, it's more physiological tough on your body without giving you the stimulus to get better, if that makes sense. So let's recap some basic water consumption for an individual that works out in the morning with their platoon doing some sort of cardio. And then for lunch goes after one of our functional programming that uh that you've got on the slate for that day so i'm waking up i'm having a glass of water with some salt in the summer months uh prior to working out or maybe you know a gatorade i'm finishing that run i'm gonna have some more water do you think just water or have an electrolyte replacement then as well yeah depending you know how strenuous the workout is how much you're sweating um if you're in fort benning in the summertime and you do like a platoon workout like a platoon run and like you know platoon workout or squat workout for an hour and a half you're gonna need to get something back in you so um water some kind of electrolyte replacement or just eating breakfast with some extra salt thrown in there um are all gonna be like good you know solutions or good ways to skin that cat solids okay and then probably within an hour to two hours of finishing that meal we're probably at around 11 o'clock you're gonna go to lunch probably by 12 I would say, what, have another half liter to a liter of just water, just continuing to fuel? Yeah, continuing, you know, with your food, and that's kind of the trend here is, like, the drink when you eat, um, just because that gives you a little bit more ability to hang on to that water um, rather than peeing it all out. Uh, so, you know, with lunch, throwing a little bit of extra salt in there or and then drink the water. 
if you really want to, you can throw some like, you know, electrolyte in your water. Uh, you can do like mineral drops. You could do, you know, whatever you, whatever floats your boat. Okay. So now they're going to go do a midday workout. Caffeine, pre-workout, all of the stuff that they throw in, niacin to make your skin just absolutely tingle. Does that have a negative impact on your water retention? Is that going to have a negative impact on your ability to hydrate? So caffeine is a slight diuretic. Um, so, you know, if you do drink a pre-workout, you should probably drink some additional, you know, just be mindful that you might be sweating more um, and peeing more with a pre-workout. So drinking a little bit more water during your workout um, or just staying better hydrated during your workout is going to be a, a big key. Um Pre-workout, you know, can be, you know, a little dehydrating because unless you how much your water you're drinking, like if you're drinking, like if you're drink, taking like pre-workout to the face, it's probably going to be dehydrated you because it's a lot of, um, it's the know. only way to take it. Yeah. If you do take the pre-workout to the face, I would definitely drink like a bunch of water with that as well, just to help dilute some of it. Um, but you know, all that stuff is, uh, potentially dehydrating. So just being mindful of that and drinking water. All right, so they finish the workout. We're going to have a post-workout shake. Maybe you have a snack. Again, food. I've picked that up, Bobby. Uh, and then mid-afternoon, have another glass of water or something. Evening, water with dinner. Uh, at what point do you say, okay, you've had enough water for today? Not not from maybe a quantity perspective, but like 9 o'clock at night, an hour before bed, two hours before bed. When do you usually cut it off? Uh. Typically, I'll get to drink a cup of water before I go to bed or drink something before I go to bed. The only issue is, is that, you know, you don't want to drink so much water in the at nighttime that you have to wake up to pee because that really disrupts your sleep cycle. So if you wake up to pee in the middle of the night, then I would definitely try and titrate down how much water you're drinking at the end of the day. Another way, other another thing that you can do is actually drink some salt water towards the end of the day. And that actually helps prevent you from peeing so much when you're sleeping. Um, which is another, you know, uh, another pro tip, um, to also get you some salt in is at the end of the day, before you go to bed, drink some salt water, which both hydrates you and then prevents you from actually peeing as much when you sleep. All right. So we've hit the water. Last thing I want to talk about, since we're kind of on the subject of nutrition, what foods would you absolutely tell our listeners to avoid in the summer months that could contribute to them having poor workouts? This might even be a year-long topic then, but poor workouts, maybe an increase in dehydration, uh, stuff you should avoid at the defect or just at home. Pretty much anything that's super heavy or fried, and that's just like a just a general rule of thumb. Like you know, the more heavier things are, the more fried things are, the more that it'll take to. Um, uh, kind of absorb into your gut and then has the potential of, you know, making you just not absorb as much food or nutrients. Well, I'm glad you mentioned fried food because that's a great segue into my next question for you. Both Burger King and McDonald's have recently come out with a fried chicken sandwich. Popeye's is famous for their fried chicken sandwich. I, in fact, live above a Bob White's burger, which has phenomenal fried chicken sandwiches. What is your favorite fried chicken sandwich and why? I'm a big Chick-fil-A guy, the orig- the OG. Oh, God, I didn't even have them on the list. Ugh. Uh, I had the McDonald's uh, spicy chicken sandwich, which was pretty Spicy, good. isn't it? It's like a, yeah, it's like a, like a mild sweet heat, almost like a sriracha. It tastes like sriracha. Yes. Almost. Uh, Popeye's is okay. I wasn't super blown away by Popeye's fried chicken sandwich. Is it the breading that you don't like? Because that, that's where it was for me, too. It was a little too crisp. Yeah, it, just, it was a little thick breading. Yeah, I was definitely, you know, wasn't a huge fan of that. But, you know, Chick-fil-A, Spicy Chicken Deluxe is my go-to. You know, I will never replace that sandwich. I never got into Chick-fil-A only because the weirdos at Bullock swore by it too fervently. They were they were sold on it, like, religiously to the extent that I said, I don't like you. I don't respect your skills as a soldier. Therefore, I don't respect your choice in chicken sandwiches. I don't know. I'm a huge fan of Chick-fil-A. Um, back in Jersey, I lived like walking distance from a Chick-fil-A. Um, so maybe that's why I liked it so much. But, you know, great service. You know, very nice people that work there. Really take good pride in their food. Um, you know, I like it. You know, I can't, can't really say anything bad about Chick-fil-A. 
I completely forgot Zaxby's. I am I'm so embarrassed. I lived in a walk distance to Zaxby's on Fort Benning off of both Gillespie and Kilgore. Zaxby's nuclear sauce on a fried chicken sandwich, I think it's number seven on their menu, was by far the spiciest uh, and one of the best fried chicken sandwiches of my life. I, I absolutely, if I could get that stuff bottled up, I'm going to have to check Amazon while we're talking. I'm going to order it. It was, it's phenomenal. One of the things I loved about the uh, revolution of the fried chicken sandwich as it's coming through the the mainstream conglomerates is the kind of pickles that they'll throw on, whether their sauce is like a mayo or honey or sriracha. I, I think I'm really interested also then in the, the density of the bun. Is it a biscuit? Uh, is it, you know, what kind of bread? Like, is it a sourdough base? There are just so many flavors out there. And that's what's going to get me back into eating fast food. I can just feel it. Yeah, you already sound like you have a, a, a budding fast food addiction right now. I'm a foodie, man. I don't know if you call a fast food addiction being a foodie. Um, I will say shout out to Bojangles. Bojangles is my favorite fried chicken place in the South. Oh, I've before? never eaten. No, they had one on Fort Belvoir, but the line was always too long, and so I skipped it. But no, I we have uh, we have Bob White probably at least once a week, maybe once every two weeks, just because we lived across from Bear Burger in New York City, and that was our little like we order out. We keep telling you guys to eat really healthy, and now you're listening to my eating habits. I'm not the doctor here, okay? I I'm his patient, um, but. I like eating a fast food type meal once a week. I know there's no such thing as a cheap meal because it ruins your diet the rest of the week. But I'm fine with that when I have a really, really long workout uh, with my brick days. Yeah. Everything in moderation. You know, when I was like doing my 20 mile days, running days, I would definitely crush an entire pizza by myself. Everything in moderation, you know. Um, Obviously, like if you're, you know, doing like a, thousand calorie 2000 calorie workout it's very hard to eat a thousand calories in rice and chicken breast and broccoli so you have to be a little strategic in getting your calories in some way yeah after my poconos triathlon is when i had the spicy chicken from mcdonald's and it was just delicious i housed a large fry i housed i think the quarter pounder and the chicken sandwich and I felt wonderful. And then when I got back, I didn't feel so wonderful. Yeah. I wanted to eat it, healthy again. Yeah, it always feels like it always tastes great going down. And then like after about 20 or 30 minutes, I start feeling like shit. And that's when I immediately regret eating whatever I just ate. Yeah, I it's the worst because especially when you're traveling. And we've talked about this at pretty great lengths, whether you're going to the field or moving and PCSing across the country. It's hard to find food on the go that's quick. You can always pack stuff for yourself, but I don't want to eat something that's lukewarm. I want to eat something that's hot, and I think that's the one disadvantage to eating healthy is you can't find a quick spot to pull over and get like a nice hot bowl of quinoa with you know some sort of a ground healthy uh, lean meat. You're, you gotta you gotta lose and just you know pick your battles between Arby's, Taco Bell, and McDonald's. You know, I'd actually push back on that because it is coming to the PCS season too. Um, uh, as far as travel eating, um, when I moved out from, Wa- from Jersey to Washington, you know, that five-day drive, uh, we actually brought a cooler with us and brought like salad, like salad, like pre-made sal- like mixed veggies for like salads in a cooler. Cold. Cold, correct. And then we would uh, we had like chicken that we prepped, uh, like pre, like you know, meal prepped. Uh, so we heated that up, put it in there. You know, made sandwiches throughout the day as we were driving, um, had beef jerky, you know, tried staying not as terrible because if you think about, you know, like a five day, if you go from like cross country, a five day drive, if you eat shit for five, if you eat like shit for five days, it's going to really hurt your body or it's going to, you know, not really hurt your body, but it's going to dig you quite a deep hole. Absolutely. That's why whenever I picked duty stations, I made sure they were within a, a two day drive and I would just make it a two day drive if it was benning to carson or to hood living on the edge just really needing those quick nitro shots and cold brews to sustain me but i tried eating healthy before but i again i always needed a little cooler and i would just pack my car to the brim and then what what was not dedicated space for my dogs i really didn't have enough to fit even 
you know, a foot by foot and a half box with some ice packs in it and a couple sandwiches. You know, for everyone has their own thing and you know, that's just a, you know, a method is packing your own food and then eating on the drive. God, you're right. PCS season is here. Yeah, I didn't put the two and two together because I'm I'm permanently based right now in the tri-state. But I'm seeing a lot of my buddies on Instagram that are moving. They're, you know what's weird is friends now are being promoted to major mm-hmm. and going to their ILE programs. And, like, the rank that I absolutely hated, that field grade rank, they're, just, they're there now. And it's just – it's, like, unsettling because I – I love them, but now I hate them. I hate them because of the rank they wear. Like they are now Sobel to me. They will, they have changed. They have morphed. They are Fiona as an ogre. Yeah, I'll say it's kind of interesting because uh, I just did surgery on a guy from two seven five today, and his commander was one of the junior lieutenants in their comp- in their battalion when I was there. When I like left, he was had another year left, and now he's a post company commander at 275 so you know it's kind of funny um you know if i'd stayed in and, and the field artillery i'd looking be looking at wrapping up my post command time wrapping up my second you know whatever post command time and looking on the ile right now or getting ready to go to ile that's one of the benefits i would say of being soft at your like company command assignment is getting to go to ile's and Rhode Island and Monterey instead of going to Fort Leavenworth. Uh, I would never, ever wish Fort Leavenworth on anyone. Kansas has, Kansas has nothing. There is nothing in Kansas. It is like I seventy wind turbines. I saw one sign for a winery. I don't think it exists, and they have a love for a basketball team that. I don't know the last time they won a national championship. I really don't care, but that's it. It's like Alabama. Alabama has University of Alabama, and like that's that's their staple. That's what everyone hangs their hat on. I I couldn't live in a state like that. Oh yeah. Speaking of post command captains slash ILE, uh, you know, um, with Colonel Puckett's uh, Medal of Honor ceremony, I saw yeah, I watched that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I saw the pictures and. You know that one major that's standing right there with the medal? That's the White House fellow now, I imagine. Uh, I'm sure if I saw the picture, maybe. Yeah, he was my... uh, When I was a fresh first lieutenant, he was my company commander. Then, you know, he was an FA guy. Was 275 FSO, then town FSO. And then, you know, we crossed paths multiple times um, on deployments. And then now it's, it's funny that seeing his picture next to President Biden giving, um, handing off the Medal of Honor to. I had no idea that Ralph Puckett did anything with the Special Forces. Um, I only learned that from, I guess, his uniform that I saw. He had the, the long tab on there as well. And then I guess he did something with them in, in Vietnam, Vietnam, I think. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, yeah, I I just know that the pocket highway. I got to meet him at Triple C. Just the nicest dude. I say dude, not of a disrespect for a Medal of Honor winner, but he he was just a, a phenomenal person. Always gave back to the Ranger community. Always gave back to the infantry community there at Benning. I think went to every single Ranger graduation that there was. Just someone that lived and breathed for the the infantry community uh, as well as the Rangers. It, it's really cool. Yeah, I don't know if I told this story before, but during Ranger School doing Malvesti, I remember doing Malvesti and like, you know, staying there shivering after you do the worm pit, what have you. And there's this old guy that just walking on the sides, like saying, you can do it, Ranger. You got it, Ranger. Like, and just saying that to everybody. And it's like saying like, you know, keep pushing. St- don't quit. Stay with it. I remember turning to some guy, like, who? I was like, who is this guy? And like, and like they basically shunned me. I was like, you idiot. That's Ralph Puckett. You chew with him with respect. It's like, don't you know anything? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, no, I'm, a, I'm an artillery officer. I don't know shit about this. <laughs> I've never seen yeah, it before. I, I've, I've never geeked out about meeting anyone uh, in the military. I've definitely been intimidated by meeting some people in the military, but it's one of those things you stay in long enough. You're going to meet some pretty incredible officers, some pretty incredible non-commissioned officers, individuals that are in really elite units 
and individuals that you just want to emulate regardless of what unit that they serve in because they're just phenomenal leaders and they're charismatic. But I've never picked up someone's picture and been, oh my God, do you know who that is? That's so-and-so. They were there. It's like, yeah, they they served and in, in, in that situation, they, they served in an exemplary fashion. I mean, like you hope everyone serves in that capacity when they're put, you know, uh, in, in front of that gauntlet. But, um, yeah, for people to give you shit for not knowing who he was, that's just, that's just like virtue signal. Like, all right, dude, like congratulations. I was too, I was too tired either way. And I didn't honestly, I was just like, whatever. And just kept doing my bestie. But yeah, exactly. That, 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 that image will always stay in my mind of him walking by us, you know, around the track, going like shaking, like going, "You got it, Ranger. Keep pushing." Don't yeah, every Ranger. man is a tiger. Yeah. yeah. What else did we? Oh, um, I guess we can. Tar- I, I see it all the time on uh, on Instagram now. But Arcteryx, I think you have some Arcteryx stuff. I, I know. Do, I do. A bunch of friends with Pro Deals have it. Can you elucidate this issue for me? I have zero idea of what is going on with Arcteryx because I am an L.L. Bean fan. Uh, my mom works for L.L. Bean. I wear Lima Lima Bravo, as we say in the tactical community. I've never worn Arcteryx, so you have to tell the, the viewers that are like me what the hell is going on. So I found, I just saw it on social media, I think yesterday too, about the whole like, you know, uproar in social media about Arcteryx. Apparently, it was like one of their like milit like a gun company was reaching out to Arcteryx for doing an order. Basically, the pre- the rep was like saying, "Oh, we don't do business with you know your kind, your kind being like military slash gun community," which I find that to be uh, kind of insane because I I don't know like the the numbers, but I imagine a good portion of Arcteryx is like goes to government sales slash soft slash you know cool guy gun nuts that want to look like they're you know some special operator because they wear arcteryx yeah pro deals but you know i do like arcteryx equipment they're probably the more one of the most technically you know technical um gear on the market um so you pay for what you get you know a couple arcteryx jackets love the jackets uh not sponsored However, if Arcteryx does want to sponsor Kronos Fit, you know, more than happy to have that conversation about getting a pro deal with Arcteryx. I got two guns right here that you can outfit. Uh, flexing for those of you that are wondering. But, you know, I think it's just like, uh, I think the whole controversy is also like a, you know, a um, a glimpse into kind of the fragility of the veteran community, you know, how quick the veteran community is quick to so quick to get in an uproar when a company um or brand or what have you you know comes out or has like a stance on something or makes a statement on something of course everyone's like you know has an such a large reaction uproar saying that you know you gotta support me i'm a veteran or you know we're the military you have to support us and you know tyfys all day i think it just highlights kind of the fragility that um kind of the military community faces and deals with on a daily basis i would definitely agree because this goes back to what we talked about the other day with the commercials that the army ran where they they weren't trying to get you or me to join the military by showing the quote-unquote woke advertisement they were trying to advertise to an individual who maybe didn't think the army was for them or had opportunities for them uh, based on, you know, prior messaging that was way more tailored for individuals like you and me who wanted to see the the cool guy stuff and the planes and the explosions. But I completely agree. If they have great clothing, buy the clothing. I just don't understand the, like, everyone complains about the, the cancel culture. You had individuals that were upset uh, with companies that were really anti-Trump. And then you had Republicans that were really upset uh, about, like, my pillow getting canceled. It's like everyone – that's just a free market. You can, you can choose to buy into what people are saying or you can just make your own decision and buy the gear. Personally, I don't own any Arcteryx. But – if Arcteryx was going through a slump, I'm guaranteeing that there's probably some good sales coming out. So I would buy Arcteryx if I needed a jacket. I, I'm not 
so upset that someone's political motivations is going to detract from my my ability to wear something. Again, that's like a First Amendment issue. If you have such a problem with someone else demonstrating their speech because corporations can speak, then what's to say that you're just going to shut everyone off that doesn't sound or look or have the exact same feelings that you do 24-7? I mean, that's how you get into a really polar camp and you don't see that there's a whole bunch of viewpoints out there that are much different than yours. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. I think it's just being, you know, that aspect is getting exacerbated by kind of how the media does things, how social media portrays things that, you know, everybody likes, everyone is clumped in these camps and that's the real danger, um, you know, facing kind of America these days is the this divisiveness and um, how nobody is willing to meet in the middle and actually discuss, you know, contentious topics or contentious ideas and that you just label whoever whomever has opposing ideas or contrary ideas to you as either racist or bigot or snowflake or woke you just get labeled um by you know the opposite side over basically whatever it is that you believe and yeah everyone's radical nowadays there's there's no one in the middle and the worst part is is we have a lot of veterans that are serving in office that are not coming to the table to meet in the middle. I mean, those are the individuals. That's where you need the leadership. So for all all the veteran service members of Congress, of which there are several, why aren't they the ones that are leading discussions? Why aren't they creating their own little cohort of congressmen, congresspeople, excuse me, to sit down and say, we need to hammer this out. We need to be a unifying force here to get things done both from the conservative and the uh, liberal side of the house. Instead, they just they jump into a camp, and again, it's just becoming the the regular thing now that the military is a pawn, and it's going to be used to to further someone's political ambitions rather than being used to demonstrate the leadership skills that you're supposed to garnish. Garnish is not the right word. Develop, yeah, sure. Develop while you're you're you know in uniform. That's that's one of the things I'm most disappointed by all of the, the military leaders in Congress. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, sad, uh, um, you know, nature and portrayal of kind of politics and the general gestalt of America these days and um, kind of how, you know, maybe things, highlighting how things need to be improved, especially in how things are run in this country. Well, things that can't be improved... I think it should be the segment that we we finish on. Oh wait, I was going to talk a little bit on the whole fragility of mental of the uh, uh, military community, and I wasn't to bring up. I don't know if you saw this whole thing on eighteen disasters Instagram about essentially no. stolen valoring the one dude. Oh yes, I saw that the guy who claimed he was like a medic and then fighting yeah, the cartels. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys are not tracking this controversy and latest episodes on Valor, basically there's this like Instagram account of this like pseudo influencer in the military community that said he was like a combat medic in the 82nd, um, got like a purple heart, whatever. And then comes out to be that he never deployed was a mental health specialist and, um, is basically, you know, still invalorating this entire story that he's this, you know, decorated combat wounded veteran. And, uh, all starting from the fact that he like on his Instagram said that he would use tampons. He puts tampons in his IFAC that he carries around, you know, as a uh, hemostatic agent. Which you know that I won't even talk about that. That topic's been like beaten to a dead horse at this point, or dead pulp at this point. Um, but then 18 Disaster pretty much like did an expose on him, which you know I'm honestly not a huge fan of doing these large exposes and like exposing. I think it's kind of like cyberbullying. Like I love 18 Disaster. I think he's a, like he does you know good things. He's a funny memer. Uh, but like that kind of borders on me. Like falls into the cyberbullying realm of things. I don't know how you how, what your thoughts about things are. I'm I'm torn on this because from the perspective of an individual, not, and I'm not speaking personally. I'm just saying a, a general person that signed up to serve goes and you know, puts their life on the line in an actual deployment, potentially then goes to a special military school or a selection 
just to serve in the company of, of great individuals who then potentially loses their life or has a friend that loses their life in the service to this country in that unit to see someone then try to take credit uh, for service um, that you or your friends uh, had, that doesn't sit right with me. I, I don't like veterans that claim stolen valor. And I, I've i got a problem with cyber bullying, not as much as I do to in-person stuff because turn your phone off or get rid of your app. You don't need to be on social media. Like, honestly, you can go without it. You'll probably be a much better person for it. So I... The expose thing is whatever. If you want to put energy and effort into it, uh, he was also given multiple times, uh, I think, by by the channel to correct, you know, and, and he, he took that risk, you know, game theory. He he, he ran the table and, and tried to get away with it, and he tried to take credit for something he didn't do. So, like, you shouldn't be able to profit off of that. But going back to the cyberbullying thing, I don't know where the happy medium is. It's just... It's almost like one of those things you could argue, does society need some bullying? I was really bullied uh, in middle school and early in high school, and I hated it. But I feel like I'm a much stronger individual having gone through it, have a little bit of tolerance for, for people's language and understands that you know individuals can grow and be better than what they were in their adolescence and hopefully can grow and mature through their adulthood. You know They don't have to remain at this current um, state. But... I don't know, man. The that that whole stolen valor thing just rubs me the wrong way, it, especially because we're coming off a period of war. I think at any other time I wouldn't care, but y- you can't take credit for people that have really put it all on the line when you haven't. Yeah, I'm gonna push back a little bit on the whole bullying thing, and that um, you know I think broad strokes bullying is probably is is a bad thing. Like you shouldn't bully anybody else. Sure, and it just it just literally just highlights how uh, you know the bully or is how you know how weak and insecure that person is and i don't necessarily think that you you know need bullying to be make you a better human being in the future um i think you can develop you know no, but it, it built some resiliency sure but you also build resiliency by not being bullied too and i think that's a that's a poor um way a poor method of building resiliency because it doesn't necessarily build resiliency in everybody in that method. Like it could very much easily, you know, drive somebody to, you know, severe depression, mental illness and those kind of things. So I, I, I I will not say that bullying, um, you know, is a, is a method of developing resiliency. It is a way, but I would not like condone that and say, I wouldn't say it's a primary way. Yeah, absolutely not. I think with bullying for me coming out of it was there's the resiliency factor, there's acknowledging that people are making up for their own insecurities and coming out of it, looking back, knowing what I won't do to another person. That being said, too, there's also, is it bullying or is it just being mean? Like, I can be brutally honest to somebody. That I don't consider bullying. Bullying, I think, is like targeted attacks, unwarranted. Like, if you're making comments back to somebody in, in the course of a dialogue that's just brutal I like it's where do you draw the bullying line yeah I don't know um, you know being mean to somebody I would say is kind of similar to bullying somebody I don't know it's like you know you know and you see a type of thing but um, I would definitely say you right. know, I was a I was a bully at some points in my life I was a bully E at some points in my life either way it's not pleasant for anybody involved and you know while you're going through it as either the recipient or whomever or the giver you know you don't really understand or really appreciate it it's only until after the fact that you you know looking back on things reflect on things and understand how things went um but yeah i would say that you know it's not probably not something that i would say is a, a good thing yeah i and i'm not advocating for bullying i'm just saying in this online context, I don't have a problem with with what that Instagram did because the guy could have corrected himself. He could have been honest. At the end of the day, that's the biggest issue. This person was dishonest. So it's do I feel worse for their comeuppings because they were dishonest or do I feel bad because the manner in which they were exposed? So my issue with the thing, the situation is that um, 
in my mind, a lot of Stone Valor um, is like almost mental illness. Like this dude, if you like read like kind of the expose and kind of the story, like the text messages exchanges between the, the two of them, it really much read like somebody with like a legitimate mental illness, like thinking like oh, a delus- sure. delusional disorder. And that's why it's like, I feel like that's more bullying than exposing somebody because literally this dude believed that he'd done these things and that he, you know, had like we in psychi in psychiatry it's like a delusional disorder we are so wrapped up like you know like shutter island you know shutter island the movie shutter island great movie but the, the whole premise of the movie is that he is you know in his mind he thinks this is real even though people keep telling him that it's not real but his mind you know creates this elaborate scheme as a defense mechanism and i think you know with some of these stolen valor cases that these individuals um whether through a be- like some kind of trauma that you know not was in the battlefield, but you know this dude was a mental health you know mental health um, counselor essentially. So who knows like what trauma he experienced talking to other people that did deploy and that were wounded, you know that shared um, the, that that uh, tr- um, the transference of trauma to him maybe you know cr- ca- a lot, caused him to create this delusion inside his inside his mind. That he was, you know, that this wounded, like this combat wounded person, individual. So, you know, it's hard to really chalk it up as stolen valor or like as like a legitimate mental illness, which I think this guy might have a legitimate mental illness. Sure, it, but that's a problem. How are you supposed to know about everyone's mental illness that is is saying this stolen valor stuff? Like, how how are we supposed to know when someone puts out on the social media that? That's not really what they did. They're just suffering, so we shouldn't call it out. But that's but that's like the the point I'm trying to make is that we don't know, and that not everyone that you know is doing stolen valor is a piece of shit that that thinks that they're you know, that is trying to get like free you know free gear or trying to get you know a book deal for something they didn't do. It might honestly just be somebody that you know has a mental illness and doesn't really understand what's going on or doesn't have the you know, awareness or self-awareness to realize what's going on around them and thinks that this is all like, you know, some elaborate fantasy that they're living. And that's where, you know, it's really hard to draw that line. Um, so, you know, I don't really know what the right answer is, but to me, the whole situation kind of bordered on cyberbullying rather than exposing the truth, which, you know, it really depends on how you look at it. But I just want to bring that up and just show, like, just share it to the audience that, you know, just because somebody says they did something, um, you know, whether it's for personal gain or for what have you, like, you know, have a, you know, have a, a, you know, a little bit of, um, self-control and don't put somebody on blast because they are lying about their service or what have you, because you never know, you know, why they're doing something. I guess another way you could look at it is, you know, like we said last week with the trans women playing in high school sports, who cares? Yeah, exactly. You know, this is online. So if someone has this image that they're, you know, a Delta operator who also was a banana boat operator and a ranger instructor, and they weren't, who cares? Does it affect you going to get groceries? Uh, does it affect you watching F1 on Sunday? Who cares? But I think it does matter if this person is getting, like, you know, the benefits associated with, you know, somebody of that, you know, class or caliber, you know. Then I would say and that's the thing. contact those companies. If you have overwhelming data, just contact the company. Yeah. Make them cut the bandaid. Isn't isn't Stone Valor like a uh, like a, it's a crime crime now, right? Yeah, I don't know how you prosecute. I've never seen it. Yeah, I just know that you know maybe that's instead of putting something on blast social media, maybe actually you know put the effort in and report them or something for you know fraud or whatever Stone Valor it is now. Yeah, that's true. But that that's well, just the point that I was trying to make is that, you know, I think a lot of the time military community and it's kind of funny, like, you know, it, it's amusing when these like meme accounts kind of like go on like a bullying rampage or what have you and like destroy this account or, uh, and destroy this account. It's kind of funny and entertaining. But, you know, there's probably some like real like real life consequences of this of these actions, too, you know, but, you know, who knows? Yeah. Like if he has kids, uh, if he's built this image up beyond just this online platform if his wife or his girlfriend or his boyfriend i don't know who but if they think that he was this great hero and he's not i mean that that will have bigger life 
level impacts than just having to start a new username. Yeah. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, you know, treat everybody with kindness. Don't be an asshole on social media because um, it doesn't really do anything for you. It might make you feel good, you know, give you a little dopamine hit. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's social media. It's not real. And But then it can have real-life consequences on other people that you'll never meet in real life and see the real-life consequences. So we can end on a positive note here because that reminded me of Patrick Swayze from Roadhouse. He says, be nice. Just be nice. Just be cool. If you haven't seen Roadhouse, you should turn the podcast off and just watch, but be nice. Um. But yeah, we should probably end with something like on a positive note. That was a positive note. I just quoted Patrick Swayze. Yeah, uh, uh, like that was just like you know. A okay, little, fine. A little dip. Fine. Little Real pump. positive note. Uh, I thought the zombie movie in Las Vegas was absolutely phenomenal. Army of the Dead. It was not. I mean, like, I'm. I maybe it just went with the wrong idea. Like, I should have. I should have literally turned my brain off from the get go when I first started. I should just yeah, turn my brain I don't know off. Why you did. I really had to flip that. I didn't flip the switch off, and I just kept thinking. I was like, this makes no sense. Which is my mistake. Dave like, Bautista. Dave Bautista. Dave Bautista. I, know. I really like, should just turn my brain off. Uh, and, he's, and a really... phenom- he's a phenomenal. He's a phenomenal. I mean, he, the whole movie, he looked like he was holding in a sneeze. And I got that joke from someone on the YouTube, so <laughs> I'm not taking credit for it. But if you watch the Easter eggs from that movie, I have so much uh, deeper of an appreciation for Zack Schneider and the little clues that he made to the like mythology that was involved in there, the lines that each one of the characters has. It's funny. It's witty. Um, we talk about the heat. The zombies suffered in the heat of Las Vegas and essentially like stuck and were glued together and and fried in the desert air uh, of Las Vegas. Like I just thought it was really creative. It was really, really entertaining. I love that the movies are starting to use stunt uh, workers and stunt people in more than just a behind the scenes capacity because both the person that played Zeus, the queen, I think they were stunt workers and they're, now they're getting like these kind of leading roles um, where like Dave Batista probably wouldn't have a real leading role uh, not but for his WWE experience if he were to be an actor. But now you see like a lot of this physical kind of acting, I think, coming back and I'm glad Zack Schneider highlighted it. That's a good point. Yeah. I generally think, I, I I will admit that I messed up and did not turn my brain off before going to the movie. Um, there are definitely entertaining points of the movie. I agree. Um, some good points. I and and King Kong versus Godzilla is another one. Phenomenal I movie. Thoroughly I enjoyed blast that movie. watching that. I thoroughly enjoyed Kong versus Godzilla. That was pretty dope. Yeah, that was a great movie. HBO's had a, a pretty good couple uh, releases here, but that does not compare to Patrick Swayze. Be nice be nice um what's i talk oh rick and morty's back i've not watched it yet though. oh i saw episode five our season five episode one uh Ooh. today during I lunch sh- i meant it's to great. watch it and so that we could talk about today but i did not get around to it they're back it's a it's another great episode uh i thought some of season four was was whatever but this is a good start to five okay good good we can talk about it next week all right we're rambling we'll have two episodes to talk about all right um I guess we'll start wrapping it up. Any closing comments, Sean? Apply to Corona Scholars. Don't be a loser. Apply to Corona Scholars. Get after it. Stay hydrated. Enjoy the heat. Enjoy PCS season. Um, and, you know, have a good summer. Uh, keep pushing hard. Keep driving. And then uh, I guess we'll see you guys next time. Be nice. Peace. Peace.